0: Welcome back to another episode of Avery After Dark. I'm your host, Avery Ross, and today's episode is one of the strangest cases I have ever heard. It's left authorities and the public baffled for years. It's an unexplained disappearance, and when I tell you that this case is bizarre, I mean it's bizarre. And the more details that are uncovered, the more questions you have. So, buckle up. Today's episode is the unexplained disappearance and death of David Glenn Lewis. David Glenn Lewis was a 39-year-old attorney living in Amarillo, Texas. He was born and raised in northern Texas, and as a teen, he was the quarterback on the high school football team. He went to college and graduated from Texas Tech University School of Law in 1979. Two years later, he married Karen Garrett, and the two settled in the Amarillo area. Karen was a school teacher, and they had one daughter. So David was somewhat of a homebody, according to family. He didn't seem too interested in traveling anywhere too far from his home, And he just seemed very content hanging around with his family, and they described him as really kind, generous, very involved in charity, and deeply religious. He was a member of the Chamber of Commerce and United Way. David was also extremely intelligent. He had been elected as a judge. He worked as a prosecutor, private attorney, as well as a instructor at Amarillo College and he was also an American Bar Association member. So for being 39 years old, David was a very accomplished man. In 1993, he had just recently lost the re-election for his position as judge, as a judge, but remained in private practice as well as continuing to teach night classes at the college. So to sum it up, David, Karen, and their daughter were a very normal, average family, and that's kind of why what happened next has left people really confused for years. On Thursday, January 28, 1993, it was like any other day. David went into work at his law practice, as he usually did. But around noon, he told his co-workers that he wasn't feeling well and was going to head home. So David left, fueled up his Red Ford Explorer, and then went home for the day. He taught his usual night class at night, and that wrapped up around 10 p.m. So that Thursday, his wife Karen and their 10-year-old daughter Lauren flew to Dallas for a fun mother-daughter shopping trip. Dallas was about... 400 miles away from their home and they would do this from time to time, take a little mini trip there to shop and just have a good time. That weekend was also Super Bowl weekend and David was pretty excited to watch the game. So his family really thought that he'd enjoy the weekend to himself, relaxing and kicking back. The weekend passes and on the 31st, Karen and their daughter arrived back home to an eerily quiet house. David was nowhere to be found, but it seemed like he had just almost stepped out for a second. There were freshly made sandwiches in the fridge, the TV and video recorder had been set up to record the Super Bowl, and laundry was in the dryer. They also noted that David's wedding ring... And watch were on the kitchen counter, and it really did look like he just went out for a bit and would be back soon. There was no signs of a break in or really anything, so Karen wasn't too concerned at first. I think she initially kind of thought that, hey, maybe he ended up stopping by a friend's to watch the Super Bowl, so Karen and their daughter just waited. And they waited, but David never came back home. And from there, it just gets stranger and stranger. So Karen reports David missing on February 1st, and police began investigating. They first checked the home and found that David had set up the TV to record the Super Bowl at around 5.15 p.m. on the 31st. But the recording was never stopped. Karen and their daughter were gone, so investigators really only could rely on witnesses to kind of piece together what David was up to the past few days. They start asking questions around town and find a, re- a string of really bizarre sightings of David that weekend. A friend of David said that on January 29th, the day after Karen and their daughter left town, he saw David hurrying through the Southwest Terminal at the Amarillo Airport. He said David had no luggage and looked extremely anxious. On January 30th, that next day, $5,000 was deposited into David and Karen's joint bank account by an unknown person. On January 31st, the day that Karen and her daughter returned home to find David gone, there were no witnesses that saw him that day. So on February 1st, the day that Karen reported David missing and police began investigating, a sheriff's deputy told police that he saw a man that actually looked a lot like David outside the Potter County Courts building. This man was reportedly taking photos of his red Ford Explorer. Police then got word from a cab driver that later that day on February 1st, a cab driver said he drove a man that looked a lot like David too from a hotel in Amarillo to the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. He said that this man seemed very anxious and paid with cash. On February 2nd, David's explorer was found abandoned outside that same courthouse that the sheriff deputy saw a man resembling David. Um, And inside the car, they found David's ID. They find cash, credit cards, keys to both his home and car. And police also found that two plane tickets were purchased under the name David Lewis around that weekend. The first plane ticket was for January 31st, and that ticket was Dallas to Amarillo. The second ticket was purchased February 1st from Los Angeles to Dallas with a layover in Amarillo. So it's unknown if these tickets were ever used or if they were for another David Lewis um back then I think they had a, a much different tracking system than we do now in 2022. I don't think that they even tracked if people got on the flight or if they didn't. But um but yeah, it and it could have been somebody else, but people but a lot of the police and you know people think it's very strange that all this is going on and someone, you know, purchased tickets under his name that weekend. So Okay, so we have multiple sightings of David that weekend, and every one of them is so strange and out of character for him. Like we talked about, he really wasn't a traveler. He was very much a homebody, and he had made no mention of any sort of travel that he was planning to do. He didn't say it, tell his wife. He didn't tell any friends. So nothing about any Of this made any sense. But based off these witnesses that said he was running through airports, paying with cash, just overall looking like he was up to something, police theorized that, well, he must have just wanted to leave and leave his life and leave his family, which to them was understandable because there were really no indications anywhere that he was injured or any sign of foul play. When he was seen by all these witnesses, he was always alone. So it wasn't like he was with somebody that looked suspicious. And I think they looked at the fact that his wife and his daughter were gone that weekend and thought, Hey, maybe he thought this was a opportunity for him to leave And unfortunately, people do up and leave for whatever reasons, if they're unhappy or they want a fresh start somewhere, whatever it may be. But when police talk this theory over with Karen and David's family, they are in complete disagreement. They said that David would never do this. He was a religious person and he loved his family. They said that for this to happen, something really bad must have happened to him. And you know, they talked to a lot of David's friends and they said that he was really happy with his life. He loved his wife and was very much in love with his daughter and and really loved his life. So and they also noted that he had spent such a long time building his career and working that for him to jeopardize that and leave would also make no sense. So David Just voluntarily skipping town was unbelievable for the family. Police asked her if David had any enemies or anyone that would want to hurt him, and she said that David had expressed concerns to her over the years about him fearing for his life. The week after he vanished, David was actually set to testify in a multi-million dollar lawsuit against his former law firm. The files from that suit were mysteriously gone when police tried to search for them. But David's profession as a judge and attorney brought some not-so-good people into his life. He said that he was threatened by ex-clients at times or targeted by shady people from the cases that he was involved in. Police continue to look into David and what happened that weekend, but eventually they stopped investigating. They said they didn't have any proof of any foul play, and from their perspective, it looked like he voluntarily left. David's family was heartbroken, devastated, and spent years yearning for answers. It wasn't until 2004 in the state of Washington when a detective named Detective Patrick Dieter was going through some of the state's cold cases and was very determined to help solve as many as he could. So he went through some of the cases where the victims were never identified, and he began searching through missing persons databases where he could plug in information about the victims, you know, what was their height, in any other details that would help him connect the John Doe's and Jane Doe's to other missing people. So he kind of got stuck on a John Doe case from February 1st, 1993. In the town of Moxie, Washington, an unidentified man was spotted and actually really scared motorists while he was walking down the center line along Route 24 at night In the middle of the night, and Moxie is a really super small farming town. The unidentified man was reportedly wearing military-style clothing and didn't seem to be distressed at all. He wasn't trying to get help from anybody. He wasn't flagging anybody down for a ride. But the John Doe was actually struck and killed in a hit-and-run accident that night. Police didn't find any ID on him, and his fingerprints weren't in any database, so they weren't able to find out who this man was. The case was never solved. They tested, and they didn't find any drugs or alcohol in this man's system, but in the man's pocket, they did find a pair of glasses. Patrick studied the details of the case and found that the description and appearance of that John Doe really matched a missing man from Amarillo, Texas, a man named David Glenn Lewis. He continued digging, and his hunch was correct. He was able to confirm it through DNA. This John Doe was David. This was a huge break in the case. You know, David had been found, but This only really invited more questions. First of all, why was David in Washington? So far from his home in Texas, how did he get there? None of the plane tickets were to Washington. And his car was found abandoned in Amarillo, so that was another question. And what was he doing walking in the middle of the highway at night in this extremely remote rural area and why was he in a military outfit so they go to police and Karen said that David had no ties to Washington and hadn't even ever been there actually he didn't own any military type clothing you know he was a a judge and an, an attorney so he really only wore professional type attire So she said that those clothes were not David's. So whose clothes were they? She also said that David had really bad eyesight. So him wandering around this remote highway alone in the middle of the night, she had made comments that he wouldn't have been able to really even see. So that didn't make any sense either. The person who hit David that night has never been found. This was yet, you know, another loose end to this case. But throughout the years David's family theorizes that David was kidnapped. But no witnesses ever saw him with anybody else like we talked about. You know, their home had no evidence of foul play and also if he was kidnapped, why would he end up alone in Washington? That that was just, you know, and in, in, in not even asking for anybody's help. So that was, that's a big question for me. Others have suggested the idea that maybe David was was afraid for his life. You know, maybe he, something happened that made him feel like he needed to run. So he left to keep his family safe. But then again, if this was true, Why didn't he go to police or at least let his family know that he was going off the grid or let him, let his family know that he was okay. The final theory is that something had gone wrong for David and he was possibly in some kind of fugue state. So a symptoms of a fugue state and they call it a a dissociative fugue state are Confusion or loss of memory about their identity. They can even assume a new identity. Other symptoms are sudden and unplanned travel away from home and inability to recall past events or important information about their life. I just had too many questions about this case, so I wanted to get a professional opinion with us, we have Ann Ross. Ann Ross has over 15 years of experience as a licensed professional counselor. She has worked with individuals with varying mental health challenges. She really truly has seen it all. She is very highly regarded and extremely knowledgeable, and also my mom. Welcome to the show, Ann, aka Mom. So, when you look at this case from a mental health standpoint, what sticks out to you about David, his behaviors, and what possibly could have happened that weekend?
1: Well, hi Avery, thanks for bringing me in on this case. I guess looking at it as a therapist, um, I'm looking at the erratic behavior that um, that David showed as far as just up and leaving especially when things were actively going on at home um i look at that as sometimes you know sure he could have been kidnapped or held you know to do the things that he didn't want to do um the paranoia that they had suggested and that he just left is understandable but what is that contributed to and also the dissociative state that he might have been in as well those all can feed into the erratic um, uh, behavior that he exhibited. Uh, When I look at sometimes this type of behavior, I look that it might be a psychotic break of some sort, which is a break from reality. Uh, Sometimes it can be an episode of psychosis. It can come over time, but I know that his family said that, you know, he was perfectly fine prior to that. But, you know, Oftentimes, when you get into the weeds with some of these folks, you can find out that, oh, yeah, well, he did, you know, not get out of bed for three or four days or he didn't do this or he didn't do that. Oh, okay, So so sometimes we can find that out. Um, And when we look at some of the reports that um, he uh, had left work early, wasn't feeling well prior to the weekend, his family was not going to be in town um, he did have a pretty big, um, lawsuit against his old, um, law firm that he used to work for that was coming up. And, um, so these are, these are common stresses that often might shift people into a psychotic break or disassociative, uh, state disorder, um. We can notice that certain things like genetic, genetics come into play as well, so we don't know what family history looks like. There might have been a trauma at one time, substance abuse, physical injury or illness, or, or even maybe a undiagnosed mental um, health conditions such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or even dissociative identity disorder and some amnesias. So when we're looking at kind of what happened with David, we've seen this in other um, um, cases as well, like Lisa Lamb from the Cecil Hotel, where we have her on camera and also some of her um, roommates were talking about how she was, you know, really um speaking really differently and kind of not in reality state and then we always saw the camera pictures of her here and there similar to that what we saw with david you know that there was um police reports of uh um police seeing him taking pictures of his car seeing him running through the airport um frantically anxious the um the taxi driver saying that he was very anxious being picked up from a hotel. So we're getting a lot of information about at that state of when he, what he was like at that state. And that might feed into a lot of these, uh, this episode that we're, that we're looking at. Um, But like I said, you know, it can be something that um, can happen over time, or it could have just been something that he just had this break that he just had to get away, and he was just had kind of lost um, reality
0: so I think a big question a lot of people have, and I also have, is what what would it take for someone to end up as far away as David ended up? You know I mean, he was from Texas, and he ends up in this really remote town in Washington that his family stated that he had never even been to. You know, what would take? What would it take for a person to, you know, leave home and end up in a completely new place in completely different clothing? You know, what, is that, what does that look like from a mental health standpoint?
1: So I think from what it looks like, David had an extreme case of um, paranoia and also that he just wasn't himself. He had become a different person. And with that, he's not able to see what his regular life looked like or where he lived or the comforts of his home or the comforts of his town or the people around him. So I would say that looking at this extreme behavior, it doesn't happen all the time. Sure, we oftentimes see um, people have these issues and we can get them to a therapist or a psychiatrist or um, mental health professional to help um, right away. But because he was by himself, because he took extreme measures, um, it it's like anything. We've got mild cases and we've got severe cases. So when we're looking at um, David in this respect, he obviously was, um, became a different person, became somebody that, um, he had to run, he had to get out of where he was. And, and is this because of his, um, his line of work? Because judges can sometimes be threatened by their, um, you know, through their cases. Um, they can also have, um, unfavorable, um, clients that are working with them. So, we're looking at sometimes people are are extremely sensitive to their to their uh industry whatever they're working in and this could have been maybe a, a compilation of many things that have happened with david that he was a strong individual but he obviously had so many severe things going on that maybe he couldn't tell anybody couldn't didn't want to tell anybody and it just kind of like hit the fan, like, you know, sometimes this happens. And and we can catch it in time that they don't go to this extreme, um, but oftentimes we can't because they don't share this information with us or family members. So um, a very sad case, very sad case for David and his family. I also want to include that um, oftentimes we see this with uh, those of the male gender, because of the fact that he led such a strong um, industry of being a judge, a lawyer, um, a male in the community, um, head of the family. So we have all this going on too, and he may not have been able to feel like he could have reached out to someone, um, to another professional, um, or he may have just been kind of so deeply into the psychosis that this wasn't letting him see that it, he was eventually going to get to that place of not being able to see reality at all but oftentimes people don't reach out because of embarrassment or that they are supposed to know everything or or oh my gosh they're going to think i'm crazy so they're going to put me away and that's not this is not 1920s where we have asylums like that we have really great therapeutic modalities now to help people Um, We help them with trauma. We help them with um, any type of issues that they've got going on. And they're not crazy. Uh, People are not crazy when this stuff happens. There oftentimes is a a chemical component that is off, and we need to look at that. So you get a team of people that can help. And that can be um, a mental health therapist. It can be uh, a doctor. It can be... A homeopathic doctor, it can be a um, religious leader, priest, um, uh, uh, minister. It, there's so many, so many people around that can help um, that I think David was maybe not able to reach out to because of his standing in the community. And that if he did go and get help, he may not be able to practice law. Maybe that was a paranoia or that there was something going on that he, maybe that's why he was not reelected as a judge, because maybe he thought people knew something. So it becomes a tangled web, doesn't it, that he sometimes can't get out of. And so now this is bringing on the anxiety and, and maybe the bouts of depression as well So that we have seen from his reports.
0: I thank Anne, a.k.a. Mom, for coming on to the podcast. You uh, really gave some really helpful insight. And I think we can take something from David's case. You know, if you are feeling overwhelmed or just feeling like something isn't right, it's more than okay to ask for help. You know, no matter who you are, no matter what your role is, no matter what your career or profession is, It's okay to share what's going on with you. That doesn't make you any weaker. If anything, it makes you stronger. And for family members, make it a conversation in your house and check in with each other. You know, check in with your friends and make it a safe space to share. Because in David's case, you know, he left a daughter that he, you know, never got to see her grow up and she never got to grow up with her dad. And, you know, that's a real shame. And um, I'm sure that she's still grieving to this day. So I think it's so important to make it a point to check in with your loved ones, you know, and, you know, try not to be judgmental, try not to make light of what they're going through. A lot of times people just need someone to listen, you know, that goes such a long way to just listen, you don't have to have the answers, but just to hear people out and and make those those steps for people that maybe won't make those steps for themselves you know set up an appointment with someone for them to talk to and you know because like and my mom talked about a lot of times some people will not go get help they feel they feel that it is you know an embarrassing thing or they don't want to admit that that's the the place that they're in and it's not embarrassing you know it's just being a human it's just being in life and dealing with life it's hard you know it's it's not an easy it's not an easy thing so just you know make it a point to check in with your friends and family every now and then and and that 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 really goes a long way you know there's still a lot of questions in this case but you know thanks to detective patrick at least his uh david's family was able to get a bit of closure and uh, bring David home. I'm sure that must have been a relief after wandering every day for that 10 years. But um, as always, make sure you are keeping up with Avery After Dark on TikTok and on YouTube. I appreciate you all so much, and I will see you next episode. Take care of yourself, guys.